brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. On Spotify, you can listen to all of your favorite artists and podcasts in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcast so you never miss an episode. Premium users can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you are, and easily share what you're listening to with friends on Instagram. So, if you haven't done so already, be sure to download the Spotify app, search for Legends of Sport on Spotify, or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Also, make sure to follow me so you never miss an episode of Legends of Sport. Welcome back, everybody, to Legends of Sport Podcast. I'm here with my buddy Jonas. What's up, Jonas? Hey, how are you, yeah. my friend? We are back. We're back. We were in Vegas a little bit little bit ago. We've been holding on to this interview because, um, well, the person we interviewed is an icon, is a legend, is a, a gentleman that I've been so fortunate to have been around for my entire career. His name is Jerry Colangelo. Among other things, Jerry is the head of USA Basketball. Um, so we were out in Vegas photographing the uh, the mini camp, and I was photographing. I don't know what the hell you were doing. I, I was you, just amateur taking some amateur photos. I think you were sitting. You were at the craps table. I was. Right? I was definitely at the craps but, table. Uh, I was there photographing the the uh, mini camp, and Jerry, of course, running the show there. And Jerry was gracious enough to sit down with us um, for a good. You know, chunk of time. I mean, this is a busy guy. Despite um, some clanging with the tables yeah, in the room next to us. Yeah, it was but. kind of funny. We were at the Wynn Hotel, and uh, I don't know what they were doing, construction or something <laughs> was happening. But Jerry was very patient and wonderful. Um, I go, Like I said, go, I go back to my early in my career where Jerry just recognized that I might have been lost or something and took me under his wing. And he and his son, Brian, Brian Colangelo, being one of my really, really good friends over the years, been through a lot together. Uh, Jerry... Of course, the owner of the Phoenix Suns for a long, long time, and is also now the chairman of the 
Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. So we're holding on to this interview to now release it now, right before or maybe after <laughs> I accept the award, uh, the Kurt Gowdy Award for print media at, at the uh, at the Hall of Fame. So very appropriate to interview Jerry and to uh, release it to you guys today. Yeah. And he's you're going to be colleagues with him in the Hall of Fame. You know, he, Jerry was inducted himself on four four o four. Wow. I was there, actually. Yes. I actually photographed him getting the jacket. So, yes, yes for sure. Well, both well-deserved for both of you. Well, And yeah. about time for you. Thank you. I was very uh, thrilled when uh, I got the word. And one of the first people I actually reached out to was Jerry to thank him because, you know, without his blessing, uh, this wouldn't have happened. So I hope you guys enjoy it out there. Um, we'll see you on the backside and uh, enjoy Jerry Colangelo. Hey, Willie, let's back up and Take just a slow train Go back to Phoenix to a far brighter day Where stars were for shining in the Arizona sky The music meant more than fortune or fame You were hired in 2005 to come in and basically revamp the U.S. basketball team. The team before 2004 in Athens wasn't really great for U.S. basketball, do you, what was your plan when you came in to revamp the team? Well, as a result of the poor finish in Athens and uh, well beyond just the poor finish, but just the the kind of look of our USA team, uh, not that anyone was demeaning, but it just didn't feel right, look right, um, poor performances, poor finish, um, it was time for change, but it was something that was building. You know, in 2002, we finished sixth in the world championships in Indianapolis. And even prior to that, in the prior Olympics, we came close to losing. So it was like the world was catching up. Mm-hmm. And it led to 2004, and then I called it a debacle that took place. I was asked if I would take over. And I immediately responded by saying I would, but I had two conditions. One was full autonomy uh, to kind of do away with politics and how the team was selected. Um, And then secondly, that was an easy give. The second one was I didn't want to hear about a budget. That was more difficult to sell, Hmm. but I insisted on it and got that commitment, but I, I, I made everyone feel comfortable when I said, don't worry, now that I have that commitment, I'll raise the money mm-hmm. myself in terms of sponsorship. But if we're going to do this, or if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it the right way and the only way I know, and it's got to be done right. Mm-hmm. And so I went into it with my eyes wide open, um, and it was a process that began when I called former Olympic coaches and former Olympic players to Chicago for a meeting. And these were contemporaries and people that I had great respect for that um, I wanted to bring the the best minds I could to the table. Let's talk about the history of USA basketball, where things had gone wrong, what things needed to happen. I wanted to hear from every individual. And then we would get into the discussion about coaching, both college and pro considerations in the players themselves, position by position. And I can only say that if you were a basketball fly, 
that's the room you wanted mm-hmm. to be in. And there was a moment during that session that lasted hours when we were discussing coaching, and Dean Smith was a former Olympic coach. <clears throat> and as we talked about the college coaches, Dean Smith said, there's only one guy up there who could really do the job out of college, and that's Coach K. Mm, wow. That was his biggest rival. Wow. You know, that was like a moment. So selfless. Yeah, I never yeah. heard that story. That was here. a great one. That's wow. great. It was a great moment yeah. that, I, that I cherish. And uh, anyway, that, that's how we kind of launched. And part of my plan was to meet with, after I had selected Coach K, uh, the two candidates, by the way, were Coach K and, and Coach Popovich, you couldn't go wrong either way. I made my choice for various reasons. And ironically, or maybe prophetically, mm-hmm. the next coach is Popovich, yeah, and here we, here we are. Yeah. Here we sit, Coach K is yeah. passing the yeah. torch. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. all things work out the way they should. And uh, um, part of what, what I wanted to do is then meet with each player eyeball to eyeball. And it was important You know, I thought I knew most of them. Maybe some of them knew me, but I needed them to know who I was at the core. Why would I be doing this? I did it for various reasons. One is I'm proud to be an American. I wasn't proud the way people were looking at us as athletes and and basketball people in particular. And we have kind of lost our our glow. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to try to restore that and bring Mm -hmm. it back to where it should be, only one place, and that is show other people respect, you'll be respected. Mm -hmm. So we had to change the culture. We had a lot of things to do, and it was going to be challenging, but that's fine. That's Nothing comes easy. But the one-on-one with players is for for them to know why I was doing it. A little bit about my background. I could look them in the eye and say, hey, guys, I came from the same side of the tracks you did. And so basketball has been great for me. It's given me a heck of a life, and this is giving back. And you and Coach K have similar backgrounds. Yes. Both from Chicago, both, uh, you know, working class. Mm-hmm. Different. But he was a Cubs fan, right? North side, you're south side. No, you're I south. was a Cub fan. Even though I was south side, no, I was a Cub fan. How'd that yeah. go over in the neighborhood? Well, we had more <laughs> Cub fans than Sox fans, but we had a few fights, too. So. <laughs> and you were a pretty good baseball player. I was up. a pitcher and a prospect and had opportunities to sign. And With the Dodgers, right? Um, Dodgers was the best offer that I had. It was a triple-A offer, and I, they were going to send me to Montreal, and I was a hardhead even then. You know, I had no help from home in terms of or an agent or anything like that, but I had my mind made up. I wanted $50,000 in the way of a signing bonus, and I wanted to buy my mother a home. She never had a home. And back in those days, that would have gone a long way. They got up to 25, and I said, no, I'm going to go to college and play basketball. Yeah. But a guy pitching behind me was Jim Bouton, who – uh, went on to pitch with the Yankees, of course, and yeah. uh, he had a nice career, not a long career, mm-hmm. but um, I ended up throwing my arm out anyway in the American Legion National Finals at Crosley Field in Cincinnati back then in 1957, and um, when I came out of a cast um, uh, after all of that, I couldn't throw hard anymore. I could throw junk, mm-hmm. you know, forkball, knuckleball, a lot of curves. Yeah. I pitched a couple of years in college, and that was the end of that. So basketball turned out to be my, my ticket. Yeah. So that was at Illinois. Yes. But you started at Kansas. Yes. And you tr- why did you transfer from Kansas? 
Well, I had 66 college basketball offers coming out of high school. Jerry, are you that good? Really? Not really. I yeah. guess there was a shortage of players at the time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. So uh, my interest was limited mm-hmm. to four schools because of time. Mm-hmm. Illinois, because it was my home state school. Mm-hmm. Um, Notre Dame, I was at that time Catholic Italian, mm-hmm. still Italian. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was being pushed, you know, like go to Notre Dame and yeah. so forth. I liked Michigan. But Kansas, I like Michigan too. That's there. where I went. Yeah, and uh, and so I did visit. I did visit Michigan, Illinois. I didn't mm-hmm. even visit Notre Dame, but but Kansas had Wilt, mm. and he had just finished his sophomore year. Um, freshmen were ineligible back then, and I would have played one year with him, my sophomore year, his senior year, and I figured we'd win it. You know, the NCAA mm-hmm. championship. Their guards couldn't shoot. That was one of my strengths. It seemed like a natural fit. Yeah. And so I go to Kansas. I lock her next to Wilt. I practice with him every day. Bill Bridges and I were on the same freshman team um, back then in those days. And one night, Wilt says to me he wasn't coming back. He was going to sign with the Trotters and wait a year for the draft. And I didn't want to be in Kansas. I mean, coming yeah. from Chicago, I felt like I was on the moon <laughs> yeah. in Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah, right. But it was worth it if Wilt was there. Yeah. And um, I actually had to go in and tell the coach who had just replaced Fog Allen. Talk about icons mm. and mm. legends. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick Harp was uh, in his first year as a head coach under a lot of duress. Um, mm. And I went in to tell him I wanted to transfer. He wasn't a happy camper. Um, but it was the right thing for me. Uh, Wilt did quit, obviously, and uh, I go to Illinois. I meet my wife of 58 years when I arrive at Illinois. Um, I had a lot of name recognition in the Midwest as an athlete, which led to a few years later when I was 25 years old getting involved with the guy who had a dream to bring pro basketball to Chicago, and mm-hmm. I was part of the birth of the Chicago Bulls. Mm-hmm. Right. So how did you meet? You were in dry cleaning after college, and you were working for a tuxedo That's another thing shop. I didn't know about you. Well, is, that, is that correct? It's a little more glamorous than that description. <laughs> I hope I didn't play that down too much. <laughs> there, were, there were two major, two major tuxedo sale rental companies in, in the country at the time. Yeah. Um, one was called Genghis Brothers. The other one was Sino and Sons. But we started, uh, a good friend of mine and, and myself started a, a, a new operation. And I had, you know, 50% of whatever we were going to accomplish and went after the colleges, went after the universities and the college prom, mm. high school proms and so mm. forth. Yeah. We built up a, a really good business. In fact, yeah. the, the, the major big boy competition, they were all over me wanting to, me to be, join them. Mm-hmm. Well, I was playing basketball four nights a week. I was in a semi-pro league. I was being paid 50 bucks a game <laughs> to play. I was the only white guy on an all-black Chicago team that didn't have a home court. We played all our games on the road. It was really fun. And uh, so I was happy. Recently married, kids real quick, one, two, three. But after three years, I didn't have much to show for it, quite honestly. And um, someone had given me a card about someone I should meet in, in, in the city by the name of Dick Klein, and he was in the incentive merchandising business, but a former athlete at Northwestern, two sports, basketball, baseball. Mm -hmm. 
and I had the card in my wallet for two years. On the night that I left my business, I'm sitting at our small kitchen table. My three kids and my wife are asleep, and I'm cleaning my wallet out, and I see this card. <laughs> and the next morning, well, hours later, I called Decline. And I said, Mr. Klein, this is uh, Jerry Colangelo. He said, oh, I remember you. You played at Illinois. Bingo. Oh, Connection. Yeah. yeah. And so later that day, I've, I'm in his offices in, in the city. And by the end of the day, he's offered me a job to go to work in his business at twice the money that I had ever seen or made. Mm. And uh, two weeks later, I started. But on our first road trip to Cincinnati, Columbus, and Louisville to call on three of his accounts, he shared with me his dream, his desire to bring pro basketball to Chicago. Mm-hmm. And for the next six months, I was selling, you know, in the incentive business, merchandising business. And I sat in on every meeting with prospective, with the commissioner, mm-hmm. Walter Kennedy of the NBA, with prospective owners, you know, or partners, with all the people, the bankers. So I got my education in the trenches, mm-hmm. which prepared me for the future. Yeah. Yeah. And six months later, we had a franchise. And that was the birth of the Chicago that, Bulls. That's amazing. So your entrepreneurship started really right after college, maybe in college. but Definitely but, in college. But the, 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 um, the melding of sports and entrepreneurship, yes. I mean, how fortuitous was that to, to set up the rest of your life? Well, how about this, Incredible. Andy? While I was in college, yeah. in the summers, you know, to make a buck, mm-hmm. uh, I actually went to the Big Ten commissioner. His name was Tug Wilson. I remember the name. He uh, was in, in Chicago. And I got permission to put on a summer tournament at my old high school. Huh. And we got the best players in the Midwest to show up. And it was a terrific tournament hmm. and sold out the place. A lot of former high school teammates of mine. Mm-hmm. My team won two years in a row playing against a lot of great players, but I always had a ringer. One year I had Chet Walker play with me. <laughs> he was at Bradley at the time yeah. when I was at Illinois. But uh-huh. the best players in the Midwest would come to that tournament. Yeah. And as a as a guy in college, I made a couple grand a week um, with yeah. that tournament. And that's the entrepreneurship yeah. and connectivity with, with business and, and sure. the game. and. You know, it's it's so interesting because I, I in my world I did the same thing in college. You know, I was I tried to sell my photography skill wherever I could. And yeah. uh you know, I was working for the fraternities and sororities at University of Massachusetts, you know, taking pictures of their parties. Yeah. Well, it got me into every great party. There you go. <laughs> and yes, and then working point. for, you know, the theater department and the dance department. So that taught me I self taught. My dad was a doctor. He didn't know anything about running sure, a business. Sure. And uh, it just taught me how to kind of market myself. In well, a way. he did well by you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you, you always learned a lot of things. Yeah. Really well, you were always great to my dad. Just, you know, you, you knew him for years when I would take him to Phoenix for whatever game was going on. What, what did your folks do? Um, my mom only went through the fourth grade in terms of education. Mm-hmm. My, my dad was, um, was a, actually a house painter. After uh, working in the mills for for a number of years, and uh, it wasn't a real strong home kind of a situation, and I had to take on a lot of responsibility, um, my mother and sister, uh, because he wasn't around. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so it was kind of a tough upbringing, but I, I grew up real fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did your father get to see your name in your neighborhood, the street that's named after you? Um, no, when he left, when he left, he never came back. So he, he didn't see any of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But um, there was a reconciliation late in his life. Um, so he came to Arizona, uh, but he missed out on my kids. You know, he saw my mm. some of my grandkids. He got to see some basketball. He saw some of the Diamondback baseball games, and then he passed. Mm. Um, so. You know, I kind of look at it this way. We all are dealt cards, and you got to play the hand that you're dealt. Um, I was forced to grow up pretty early coming from the kind of environment I did, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world because it helped make me, got me ready for mm-hmm. what was, was there. Mm-hmm. We didn't have much, but everything people had in our neighborhood was shared. I was welcome in any everyone's home. Mm-hmm. I really cared about the neighborhood, the people, and I never forgot where I came from. Mm-hmm. Whenever I got back to Chicago, I would always go back mm-hmm. to the neighborhood and see people because that's that's who I am at the core. Mm-hmm. When you look at the South Side today, yeah, in Chicago, it's markedly different. What what's your what's your take on how to how to get these neighborhoods like Englewood? Back up and running. I mean, I heard a couple years ago there was going to be a Whole Foods put in there, which was an interesting idea because I grew up in New York, and there was a similar situation in Harlem, yeah. and they put in on 125th Street, yeah. Martin Luther King, a, a, I think an F.A.O. Schwartz, mm-hmm. and it really revamped the whole neighborhood. Do you think that's – I mean, as an, as an entrepreneur like yourself, do you think what, – what's the answer? It, it's a combination of things. It isn't just one thing that is going to turn turn the tables. This has been – so many years in the making, you know, this terrible situation that exists and the crime that exists. So there's a lot of cleanup that needs to happen. There's a lot of development that needs to take place. And, yes, certain types of development could be a stimulus Mm -hmm. uh, to turn things around. But we also have to educate people. We have to, you know, educate them in terms of how they can participate and be part of this turnaround. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. because it does take a number of people to make this happen. Mm-hmm. No one person's going to walk into any kind of a neighborhood like that and, and make things happen. So, um, you know, I don't think we have the time while we're having this discussion to talk about what the uh, systemic issues are mm-hmm. and what the possible solutions are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm hopeful that we, we see some change and we see it sooner rather than later because – it's like a run, runaway freight train yeah. when you look at the crime and the killings and so forth. Um, it just isn't right. Yeah. Well, we've had um, Magic Johnson on a couple of times yeah. and Peter Goober, and they partnered together um, in the Crenshaw District. Sure. Opened the Magic Johnson Theaters and for the purpose of just what you're talking about, to, to have the neighborhood elevated, to have uh, people from the neighborhood feel like, this is theirs, and, yes. and it employed people from the neighborhood, right. and it was super successful, right. and um, really revamped that entire area. So, uh, you know, um, that was that was a great discussion. We well, that's a great model. Yeah, that's a great model yeah. for many communities. Yes, yeah. and uh, but there's only one Peter, and there's one mm-hmm. Magic, and right. they can only do so much. Right. So we need others to step forward yep. who have 
a similar platform mm-hmm. uh, to make a difference. Yeah, well, we see that with LeBron. You know, LeBron, mm-hmm. LeBron has made it his his mission now yes. to, to send kids to college and to get these neighborhoods back up and going. You know, athletes are in a unique position. Those who have achieved a certain level of stardom, mm-hmm. and their platform is incredible. So, you know, when they are willing to 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 put back you know, into the community mm-hmm. and try to make a difference, there are people willing and able to participate who mm-hmm. wish to participate mm-hmm. with them mm-hmm. and uh, partner with them. Yeah. So I'd like to see more and more of that coming from our athletes, in particular NBA players, yeah. because they can help make a big difference in their own communities yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, no question. So, Jerry, we got to go back to the Bulls thing for a second, yeah. okay, because is it true that as a marketing tool, you took a live bull down Michigan Avenue to try, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> to, try to sell, sell season tickets? Not many. Four. <laughs> we sold four season tickets that day. Well, we wanted to kind of launch our, a campaign. Yeah. And uh, we said, well, we'll get a flat car. We'll get a live bull. We'll have it in a pen, you know, so it would be secure and safe. <laughs> Um, I could just picture that. And uh, Dick That's Klein crazy. and Johnny Kerr, who was going to be our first coach, and myself. Sure. I still have this photo of uh, of the three of us with the bull I on the flat car yeah. with cowboy hats on. Oh, my God. And at lunch hour on Michigan Avenue, we're oh going down Michigan <laughs> Avenue, and we're throwing out pamphlets. Didn't do do very well, but we've got a lot of exposure. I'll tell you that. Oh, that's so funny. It was kind of fun. Yeah, Jerry West talks about that with the Lakers to try to get people to come, and they they go down, you know, downtown L.A. or wherever, you know, with a loudspeaker and come see our games, you know, free admission and still be, no one show up. Well, here's, here's another Johnny Kurt in yeah. our first year with the with the uh, Suns because Johnny was my first coach. Mm-hmm. I used to stand outside at the Coliseum at a spot where I could watch the two entrances into the parking lots <laughs> and see how many car lights were coming in and, you know, it's getting close to game time. Yeah, and, yeah. And then I'd finally go in, and Johnny Johnny's seat on the bench was right next to the scores table, and there was a phone right there. So the phone rang one night, and Johnny just picked it up. Yeah, he said, Veterans <laughs> Memorial Coliseum, can I help you? <laughs> and the person said, what time does the game start? And Johnny said, what time can you get here? Oh, my God. <laughs> What a funky place that was, Jerry, yeah, with yeah, that yeah. crazy ceiling it yeah. had. I, at the beginning of my career, I used to schlep lights up into that, and you couldn't stand in the catwalk because, you know, it was, like, super low. What an yeah. well, interesting way to start. So it was supported by suspended cable. Yeah, I, I remember. That's it was funny. a scary scene yeah. up there, yeah. I guess insurance liability was different. Then. <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> Let's talk about Arizona for a second, because you were the youngest GM. Mm-hmm. When you came to Phoenix after your stint with the Bulls and Dick right. Vaughn, you were 28, I believe. And right. mm. Arizona, there wasn't a, a lot of entertainment going on there. It was pretty much like Waylon Jennings, and that was <laughs> there wasn't a lot going on in sports. Was, he, you was recre- he around at yeah. that time? I don't know if he, he was he, or not. I think he was. I think okay. he was going through the the 80s. Yeah, the what 90s, was, and what but, was downtown Phoenix like? Yeah, what, oh, it was not much. But but here's here's the key. I had the chance, uh, not the chance, I was offered the Milwaukee job as well as Phoenix, Mm. and my boss in Chicago didn't want me to leave. He told me he would only maintain his role for another year or Mm. two, and then he would give it to me, but my instinct said, it's time Mm -hmm. to move on. Mm -hmm. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. 
Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And when I saw Phoenix for the very first time, it was for the interview. And uh, I had never been to Phoenix. But I saw a blank a blank slate. It was like a canvas that you were going to be able to paint your own portrait. Mm. And that there was some appeal to me. Mm. Milwaukee was kind of a suburb of Chicago, mm-hmm. a little bit different. And and the appeal of going west and starting a new life had some appeal, mm. and so I chose I chose uh, I chose Phoenix. And the story is a, you know, it's been said many times. But I left Chicago for the interview it was twenty below <laughs> at O'Hare. I landed at Terminal One that no longer exists. It was seventy degrees. I smelled orange blossoms in the air. By the end of the day, I'm being pressured, you know, to take the job, and I. I I went through the motions of negotiating a deal if, in fact, I said I would come. Mm. But I said, look, I need to go home and, you know, visit with my wife, look at these other options. I have to get back to you in a few days. And this is before cell phones. Yeah. So I got to a phone. I called my wife and I said, pack your bags, babe. It's Phoenix. (laughs) And two weeks later, we were there. Yeah. And we arrived with. Three kids, two, four, and six. Brian was two years old. Mm. Nine suitcases and three hundred bucks in my pocket, oh, and my we goodness. flew to Phoenix and never looked back. Wow! Wow, that is a leap of faith like I had never heard. That's amazing, and Jerry. Things really. didn't start off that well, there, right? You lost a you lost a coin toss for the number one pick, right? To ironically, I think it was Milwaukee. It was to Milwaukee with for Lou Alcindor, yeah. right? So, so what? changed this what was the ultimate catalyst that changed this team around that made the suns this 1990s playoff juggernaut well first of all it is true we got off to a rocky start actually we were um three and one to start the season and then we went into a tailspin we only won another 13 more games Mm -hmm. 16 and 66 lose the flip uh now we have to really you know Scratch because I, I believed in my heart of hearts we were going to win the flip. Mm-hmm. And I had taken players in the expansion draft like Gail Goodrich, uh, Dick Snyder, Dick Van Arsdale. Felt that we had some young core players to go mm-hmm. along with Jabbar. We'd be set for 10 years. Mm-hmm. We lose the flip. 
I remember that day was a terrible day for me, you know, with the media. I drove around Phoenix for hours. I finally got back to the office. But here's what happened. You know, you could have just rolled over and died. Uh, but no, that wasn't who we were. So what happened is that in year one, 16 and 66, in year two, 39 and 43, it was the biggest turnaround in the history of the NBA mm-hmm. at that point. Um, we drafted Neil Walk as the number two pick. He eventually averaged 20 and 12. Mm-hmm. We traded for Paul Silas. I signed Connie Hawkins. I replaced Johnny Kerr, my good friend as coach at midseason myself. Mm-hmm. We made the playoffs. Had the Lakers down 3-1 to one when they had West Chamberlain and Baylor. Uh, and I've said often, if we had any coaching at all, we might have beaten them. <laughs> we also lost our center to a sprained ankle. But we established ourselves in one year after losing the flip, yeah, which yeah. was really, I think, a great accomplishment for our franchise. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, it was and a just, test for you. It was a test. Yeah. And then, I don't know, five years later, we're in the finals yeah, you know, right. against Boston. Yep. Participated in one of the great games of all time, the triple overtime loss to Boston, mm. the shot heard round the world by Gar Hurd, the mm-hmm. tie, tie the game in double overtime. We, we lost in triple overtime. Mm. Um, so, look, I have nothing. The only thing I'm missing with the Phoenix Suns is we didn't win a championship. Mm-hmm. We should have, could have, might have three or four times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the fourth best record in the history of the NBA during my 40 years with the Suns. I'm very proud of all of our accomplishments. Mm. And the irony for me is going into baseball, we won a World Series in our fourth year. Yeah, that was against the Yankees yeah. Of, yeah. All, of all people. I don't think anybody's going to forget that, especially a New Yorker like myself and a yeah. fan like myself yeah. watching uh. Mariano. That flub hit off. Yeah, me. It's, it still haunts me today. It was a line drive <laughs> off the wall. What are you talking about? <laughs> tomato, tomato. I, yeah, right. I saw it a different way from a bar on 59th and 1st. And yeah. I, my hands are my head. But that wasn't uh, – th- those were two big trades. I mean, Garagiola was the GM then. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you, that wasn't a, a flub. You, you had to get Randy Johnson, mm-hmm. which was a huge – deal and and of course then Kurt Schilling the following year which they were co-MVPs of that 2001. You want to hear a story about Randy? It's kind of funny. It's uh, kind of funny. It. Um, I get a call from his agent. Uh, he's pitching at Seattle at the time mm-hmm. with Seattle and we're under construction. You know we're building our mm-hmm. stadium and, mm-hmm. and haven't even played our first season and he says you know Randy Johnson's going to move to Phoenix and He's a big fan. He loves season tickets. And at that time, we're sold out. I have a wait list of 5,000 people. For the Suns. Yeah. For the Suns. Yeah. And I said to him, I said, look, I might be able to help you, but if I do, you owe me something. He said, what do you mean? I said, I don't even know, but I'll let you know. <laughs> so two years go by. Now I'm ready. I want to sign Randy Johnson. He's a free agent. I call the agent, and I said, you owe me, right? Mm-hmm. He says, yeah. I said, he said, what do you need? I said, I want to be the first to meet with Randy, and I want to be the last. Mm. I want the first bite and the last bite. Mm. So I go to his home. He's got two agents, his wife, and so forth. And Randy had the long hair at the time. and You know, he was a different kind of a cat. Yeah. And he says to me, I don't know how this is going to work. You know how Buck Showalter is. He's a disciplinarian, and, you know, I'm better. I said, Randy, stop for a minute. If you had rings coming out of your ears and your nose and you had tattoos from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes plus long hair, 
I'd say pass. But one out of three is okay. <laughs> and he you could keep up. the mullet. Yeah, he cracked yeah. up. <laughs> and so it went great. The point is that first meeting was great. And then later, after he had meetings with the other teams trying to sign him, yeah. they called me and he said, he's, they're ready to see you. Well, then I felt I had him. That's mm-hmm. awesome. And we did. Yeah. And he used to sit right behind me on the baseline. He yes. had those first two yes, seats, that's right? Right, that's right, right behind me. For and, Suns uh, games. Right. And, and do you know that he is quite the accomplished photographer? I know. Amazing. He's made that a, yeah, a, a sports a photographer. Yeah. 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 Incredible. We had John Suhu on, the yeah. Dodgers photographer, uh-huh. and he was, yeah. he was talking about his incredible photography yeah um this is an important time for us u.s basketball and what is what is the selling point to play for u.s basketball with a lot of these guys who you know i know you've run teams and these insurance these could be insurance liabilities god forbid somebody hurts themselves is is how do you sell that to these guys when they've become these huge brands into themselves well, first of all, I'm not going to back off from representing your country. To mm-hmm. me, that was part of the appeal for me. You know, for, for people who aren't proud, I'm just going to be very specific. This is just my opinion about life. And um, if people don't like it here, they ought to leave. That's number one. Um, we have a lot to be thankful for to have been born where we were born. I mean, mm-hmm. think about some of the distress that exists in all the countries around the world. I mean, where else can, and I'm a product, where like one or two generations after somebody gets off a boat with a knapsack on their back, mm-hmm. um, can someone achieve and, and prosper and do things? That hap- that can happen here. can't happen in other countries. Mm-hmm. You're locked into where you're born, you know, in terms of a caste system, etc. So... We have a lot to be thankful for. A lot we should we should really support our country. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have differences of opinion politically and otherwise. There's no doubt about that, but we need to show respect for people. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, as far as USA basketball specifically, we are representing our country on the international stage. We should take pride in that. Mm-hmm. If there are people who don't feel that way, I don't have room for them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the way I personally look at this thing. Yeah. That is part of the DNA we're looking for. And by the way, that wasn't a tough sell. Mm-hmm. I haven't had one individual say, mm-hmm. I could never do that. Mm-hmm. They've all jumped in. Mm-hmm. Now, it's good for their brands. Think about that. It's a great platform. Mm-hmm. It's great exposure. Mm-hmm. How do you sell shoes and t-shirts and those things around the world it's by participating. If you saw the response people have had to our players around the world, they're, mo- they're the most recognizable athletes in the world. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. I, I've been there, obviously. I mean, it's it. just amazing. Yeah, it's I've been on summer trips with guys, Italy, other other countries. There's, they know exactly who they are. They've yeah. all seen them because <laughs> television, yeah. on basketball and television, their face right is right there. Yeah. You know, football yeah. guys, they can't they don't know who's who. Mm-hmm. Can't see them. Yeah. True really a baseball too when you think about it, hockey. Mm. So, mm. um anyway, um I think there's a lot to sell to to an individual. You get a chance to represent your country, you get a chance to play with the very best, you get a chance to have an experience that is unbelievable, unique, 
going for a gold medal. I mean, it's mm. it's all part of our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's a ton of reasons to do it, and I can't think of any not to. <laughs> yeah. And the future, I guess, of USA basketball is bright because the future of the NBA is bright. Mm-hmm. Basketball right? is yeah. the number two sport in the world yeah. today, growing by leaps and bounds mm-hmm. internationally. Talk about a bright future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then domestically, you're absolutely right about the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I go way back. Mm-hmm. We paid a million two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the Bulls franchise, <laughs> two million for the Suns franchise. I was able to put a group together to buy the Suns in 1987 for forty-four million dollars, wow. and in 2004 sold that that situation for over four hundred million dollars. And today it's worth well over a billion. Yeah, you bought a team for basically what LeBron's making each year. <laughs> Talk about how, I mean, yeah, it's, it's upward trajectory of the league. I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's pretty, why did you divest yourself of your teams? In- where, where many, many people in sports have made their fortunes and made their careers elsewhere and decided to get into sports kind of as, as a hobby to mm-hmm. some degree, um, my life was... Within the sport, I was the first person who had played, scouted, coached, managed to end up in ownership. Mm-hmm. So that was my life. And so the only way to, um, to financially, uh, you know, see the rewards to some degree was to, to cash in at mm-hmm. some point. Mm-hmm. But I had a, re- a fiduciary responsibility to my partners, too, that I brought into the deal that we were going to make the biggest deal ever. I mean, the highest price ever paid uh, before that was like three hundred or mm. less than three hundred, right. and I got four. So you know, you're almost forced to do it, mm-hmm. and it was good for financial planning for my family and you know, estate and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't second guess anything. If somebody had said to me, I would ever get to the point where I where I sold a franchise for four hundred million dollars. <laughs> When you, yeah. if you saw where I came from and mm-hmm. what I where I started, you would have done that ten times in a row. Oh, absolutely. Do you ever think back these earlier moments in your life, huh. these seminal moments? If you didn't blow out your arm in baseball, if you didn't transfer from Kansas because Wilt left, it, sure. you wouldn't have met mm-hmm. your wife, right? Yeah, you know, you you wouldn't have met Dick Klein, right? You may have been in a completely different situation. No question. Hmm. Okay, so this is just my philosophy. Mm-hmm. God has a plan for everyone's life. I'm only playing it out. Mm-hmm. You can't really plan everything that's happened. Like, certainly, I look at my life, I couldn't have planned all these things. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, go, you take one step at a time, you do the next thing that you're led to do, and that's really how it is. Yeah, I truly believe that too, Jerry. Yeah. That God's got a plan, and it's my job to stay out of his way. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> just true. Let this just. Let him right drive the bus. True. Yeah, you've you've said that um, you know your business philosophy is that a person must put themselves in a position to act decisively when the right opportunity strikes. Right, mm-hmm. and it seems like you've you've really hit that with your instincts, mm-hmm. I and mean, they've been pretty good. Um, I think I think a lot of that goes back to your upbringing and um, your your experiences. And there was an old timer in my neighborhood, an immigrant mm-hmm. by the name of Mike Kalachi who kind of took took a liking to the young guys coming up. When I was 10 or 11 years old, I'm standing on a street corner, 
by the saloon. <laughs> I grew up two doors away from the saloon, three-star liquor store. And Mike was looking at the stars. In broken English, he says, you see that star? Which one, Mike? Which one? I finally figured out which star. He says, remember, it's better to be in that star for one day than never get there at all. <laughs> How about that for that wisdom? Is, yeah. This and guy you, never went to school. Yeah. Huh. He didn't, you know, I mean, it was just wisdom. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that stayed with me. Yeah. It really did. So my life, never afraid to fail, always willing to take risk, calculated risk, and always ready to shoot for the star. Mm. And I've heard you speak many times, and one of the things that stuck with me, I actually put in my phone when you said it, was your four tenets of success, vision, plan, execution, and fulfillment. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to do that with this crazy thing I'm doing now. Well, I wish you the best in this. It's exciting. But, but, you know, it's somebody like you who, who, uh, you know, I've seen and, and have known me since day one yep. um and and your son brian has been such a great friend mm-hmm. over the years and and trusted me with with your teams yes, yes, <laughs> you know back yes. in the day um and then seeing you now jerry at this point in your life and and you know we just talked to coach k and you're still loving what you do you're still going after that next as peter goober would say that next big thing mm-hmm. um you know your hall of fame uh position and and what you're you're trying to build in phoenix and you know with your developments and all i mean it's it's unbelievably inspiring mm. yeah well i appreciate that and another little bit of philosophy is when people say um when are you going to retire Do, doesn't yeah. that appeal to you yeah. the answer is it doesn't yeah. appeal to me yeah my philosophy is you go as long as you can, as hard as you can, until you can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Love you'll it. know. Yeah. You'll know when, when you can't yeah. go yeah. any further. What yeah. future endeavors are you excited about that you're working um, on? I think, I think the best way to explain, because of my age, 78, um, the Olympics in 2020, I'll be about 80. <laughs> um, I want to finish strong. I think that's important. I don't know what that means in terms of length of time, but I want to finish strong. Um, I want to leave a mark or two or three. And, uh, you know, my life has been involved in pro sports, in basketball, the Olympics. I never would have dreamed that would have been involved with USA basketball. Mm, But that happened. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Circumstances created that and then opportunities. So, um, you know, real estate. I enjoy real estate to me. It's very competitive. It's another game. <laughs> and we're competing with the big boys on Wall Street for a lot of deals <laughs> out of my little office in Phoenix, but it's fun. Yeah. What excites you about that? Uh, competition and winning. Yeah. You still, know, it's, it's The juices that. are still flowing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's oh, it's yeah. the competition. You know, The balls are might be different. There <laughs> may be a ball. There may not be a ball. So real estate, the Basketball Hall of Fame is mm-hmm. another love affair of mine back in Springfield. Um, USA basketball for the time that's left. And, uh, you know, I've got great grandkids now. Mm. Uh, and two of them that we spent time with in Carmel this summer were, um, you know, time marches on. Yeah. So uh, finish strong and do it right. That's a beautiful thing. Well, 
And I know you yeah. two yeah. will see each other probably in September when yeah. this guy gets inducted yeah, into the, the Hall of Fame. I certainly so am thrilled. going to be there. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I gotta, you're the first hand I'm going to shake, Jerry, <laughs> after I make my speech. <laughs> All right. Then, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. It's very yeah, fun, so much. and I wish you the very best. Thank, thank you, you, sir. I appreciate it. Michigan seems like a dream to me now It took me four days to hitchhike from Saginaw I've come to look for America So Jonas, we were able to learn a lot from Jerry Colangelo about life and work and balance and how to go from nothing to incredible something. I mean, what a uh, testament to Horatio Alger's story. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Coming out to Arizona with basically $300 in his pocket. He became the youngest general manager in professional sports in 1968 when he was hired by the Phoenix Suns. And what he did with not just the city, but the state of Arizona, mm-hmm. setting up uh, four major franchises. I mean, who, yeah. could, who could even keep track no incredible and uh, bringing his son brian into the mix and uh grooming him and and i mean even myself you know he he didn't know me from anybody but um for some reason he was a little bit intrigued by me i guess early in my career and, and he was always something somebody i was so comfortable talking to you know you think about it, he's the owner of the team but yet he was so approachable he'd be sitting in in the press room eating dinner with the rest of us, not in some suite or some shishi restaurant in the arena, but with the rest of us. And you just sit with Jerry and Kibitz and and have a great time. And he'd always remember to ask how your family was. And I just love that guy. It says so much about a person that created so much for themselves and for the people around them mm-hmm. yeah. to always be that humble. Yeah. From the beginning of their career to the end. I mean, the mm-hmm. time he gave us was just – was. It was great. It was a gift, and uh, like you said in the uh, in the intro, we had some sound problems with the hotel people, kind of uh, banging around. And Jerry was super patient. We had to stop the recording a few times and yell at people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Jerry's like, he just rolled with it. Yeah, yeah, cool as a cucumber. So the best thing that will happen is that the U.S. Olympic men's team will win another gold medal. That Jerry can add to his uh, collection and his trophy case, and uh, his legacy goes on and on and on. Absolutely. You know, what he also did with USA Basketball, we we can't stress enough the fact that USA Basketball was in shambles in 2004 in Athens. And what he did with the the 2008, quote-unquote, redeem team, you Mm -hmm. know, and how he just changed the mentality for USA Basketball over such a short period of time really is a testament to uh, the respect that the players give him in the NBA and for who he is as a person. Mm -hmm. And to get them to sign up on contracts, to to be there on three-year contracts, that they have to be there in in the summers to practice and and, uh, they have to commit their time, you know, Mm -hmm. it seems like they don't do that just for anybody. Yeah, for sure. And what a thrill for me to... To be awarded uh, this Kurt Gowdy Award uh, at the Hall of Fame and have Jerry present the the award and uh, know that you know that's a almost a forty year relationship, um, almost a father and son thing. Because you know I lost my dad a long time ago, but Jerry has always been there for me, and I've always reached been able to reach out to him. And uh, 
Anyway, very humbled by it and very thankful. So thank you, Jerry Colangelo, for your time, for your friendship, insight, the incredible support I felt from you over the years. And uh, can't wait to get back on the court with that uh, 2020 team and watch them win the gold medal. So you can add that to your collection. Yes, sir. The future of USA basketball is bright because I think the NBA is is, is bright in the the players that they have and the, the way the league is, is shaped right now. It's, it's fantastic. So thanks again to Jerry. Um, we don't have a contest this week, but please follow us on Instagram at Legends of Sport. And please follow us on Twitter at LOS Podcast One. We have a new daily Twitter feed that we have called This Day in Sports, which is really fun. If you get a chance, please follow us. You can always follow Andy Bernstein at ADB Photo Inc. That's ADB Photo Inc. on Instagram. You could always follow me at Jonas Wadler on Instagram. And we have a blog. We have a blog with a lot of our editorials, our, our uh, uh, articles that we have based on our podcasts that are really great by the young go-getter Jonas Scharf, who's been writing some articles for us. You can find that at legendsofsport.blog. And we look forward to bringing you some more really fantastic episodes this fall. We've got some great ones coming up. So thanks for always listening, and stay tuned for more. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. We'll be back at you next week. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.